Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Christian Sager. Hey, Robert, who said the following? The illegality of cannabis is outrageous, an impediment to full utilization of a drug which helps produce the serenity and insight, sensitivity, and fellowship so desperately needed in this increasingly mad and dangerous world. Oh, well, that's, of course, a quote from uh, Mr. X uh, from uh, the early 1970s. Yeah, Mr. X. He's that guy who was on the X-Files. He replaced uh, the Deep Throat character <laughs> in, like, season three, right? Is that true? There's a Mr. X on there? Oh, yeah, okay. totally, totally. He was, like, their inside informant. Uh, he's the guy from 21 Jump Street. He said okay. that? No, no. Oh, okay. Turns out this was actually Carl Sagan. What? Uh, yeah, Mr. Mr. X was his um, his his marijuana advocate pseudonym uh, back in the day. Well, Carl Sagan must have had a contact high. That's my <laughs> worst pot joke that I'm going to tell during this episode. But yeah, so Carl Sagan said that, but we didn't find out about that until after he died. You know how I learned about Carl Sagan saying that? Listening to a podcast. I was listening to the Dead Authors podcast with Paul F. Tompkins, uh-huh. and Matt Gorley was his guest pretending to be Carl Sagan, and they talked about this quote at length. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's more than a quote. Like, it's a full piece yeah. in, uh, yeah. in, uh, in, in which he talks about uh, his experiences with marijuana, the effects marijuana had in his own life on creativity on uh making connections uh things outside of his out of the scientific discipline but uh, he he at least alluded a little bit to its uh, its use to make scientific connections as well so we figured we did a two-parter on MDMA there were a lot of positive comments about that and we thought you know what maybe we should do this as kind of like an ongoing series where we explore different uh, uh, drug substances, the cultures around them, but mainly the science of how they work and the potential medical properties that they have, right? Yeah, as well as a, you know some cool historical and cultural uh, material as well. More, Way more so than MDMA. Uh, yeah. Cannabis is a subject where you could easily have a stuff-to-blow-your-mind-esque show that just covers nothing but marijuana. Like, each yeah. day you could look at a different, uh, or each week you could look at a different uh, historical tidbit, some different cultural tidbit. You could look at some new study about its applications. You could look at some new study about its, uh, you know, that, that tackles it from a, you know, drug abuse, drug prevention angle. There's just so much material out there uh, mm-hmm. that you could just go on forever. And we're not going to go on forever. We're going to yeah, we've do tried this in to... two pieces here. Yeah, we, we did our best to condense this down. Robert's right. There's an absolute infinity of pot research out there. And that's a good thing because there's a lot of uh, things that we have to learn from this one plant that our... Uh, uh, our species has become totally obsessed with. Yeah, I mean, we stand in an you know an interesting place in history where um, acceptance of marijuana is growing in many circles. Uh, we see a lot more research, scientific research, going on right now than we have in the past. And uh, yeah, it's it's hard to exactly predict where we'll be ten, twenty, thirty years yeah, from now. Who knows? Yeah, but uh, but yeah, we're gonna give it the old stuff to blow your mind shake here and. If there, if you want more information or you want more of a, just a general overview, there are a couple of great articles over at HowStuffWorks.com. Mm-hmm. One on marijuana, how marijuana works. Another one, how medical marijuana works. That'll give you the basics. You know us. We're liable to 
maybe dwell on some of the weirder, cooler things about the topic, and you might very well want to then go back and uh, explore some of the basics. Yeah, I want to start the episode with a disclaimer that, like, what we're going to do isn't the standard how marijuana works type episode. Right. Uh, and in fact, our uh, colleagues over at Stuff You Should Know did a How Medicinal Marijuana Works episode that you should go listen to if you're looking for something like that. This is going to be more us really drilling as far as we could uh, into the science behind it, how it affects the brain, uh, some kind of odder, unknown cultural uh, connotations of it through history how it's evolved over the years. And in particular, one of the things I'm psyched to talk about is like it's migratory patterns across yeah. the planet. Yeah, that, that is some really uh, fascinating material there. And then we're going to break and we're going to do another episode later this week. Uh, that's going to be solely about the health benefits and the medical properties of it. Uh, and so, you know, this will be a little bit different. This is in our voice. Uh, and as such, you know, it's a subjective experience. So Robert and I will also probably bring our own experiences of growing up uh, as adults in America in a society that uh, plenty of people smoke marijuana and do uh, do whatever they want with marijuana. But it's sort of still illegal. Depends on where you live now. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine pretty much everybody out there is going to have some level of familiarity with uh, with marijuana. Either you have tried it in the past, you're an active user, you know somebody who fits either of these categories, or you've at least seen it on television, you've heard about it in the lyrics to, to various uh, songs right. and, um, and, and various um, um, hip-hop tracks. You probably know something about what we're talking about here. All right, so let's dive in then. Real basic. Cannabis as an organism, it is uh, closely related to some other species, plant species, but really the gist of it is that it is a plant that probably originated natively in India, somewhere just north of the Himalayas. We know that it can grow somewhere between 8 to 12 feet tall, almost, and in some cases, as tall as 25 feet. I can't imagine that. Uh, And then... One thing that, you know, we'll just get out of the way, but this is not going to be something we're going to talk a ton about. Of course, it has uses as a textile fiber, right? And hemp has particular woody fibers in it that have uh, industrial applications. And that, that could be, again, like that could be its own podcast. Right. All the ways that you can use hemp, right? Uh, and and it, it is important to hit because, yeah. the, the, like, because essentially you have two very common subspecies of cannabis. You have uh, cannabis sativa L, and the L stands for Carl Linnaeus, Carl Linnaeus, who named it in 1753. And this is uh, the non-psychoactive hemp variety. This is the, mm-hmm. the version of, uh, of cannabis that is used to create these various textiles and has been used for ages, as we'll discuss in a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to put that in perspective, uh, hemp contains less than 1% THC. Meanwhile, you have cannabis sativa, the psychoactive uh, cannabis plant, and that one, and that one you'll see THC levels that uh, range from 4 to 20%. And the upper end of that, the 20% area, you're going to see that in some of the, the specialty strains that uh, humans have cultivated. So then there's also cannabis indica, and there's another one called cannabis ruderalis. Uh, and these are different species. There's variants. There's subspecies. But one thing that's uh, worth saying right up front about these is that these categorizations sometimes get used over simplistically. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be something that we keep coming back to over and over again, especially with medicinal use. Uh, the idea, for instance, that 
indica makes you sleepy, but sativa makes you hyper. Uh, but then there, you can find strains of both that have totally opposite effects, right? So there's like, there's a lot more going on here. And the reason why is this plant is like incredibly dynamic and complicated. It has more than 500 chemicals in it, including THC. 109 of those chemicals are what we call cannabinoids. And those are the important ones when we're talking about the effects on the brain. But this thing's really diverse. It's got a lot going on inside of it. Uh, and depending on how it's bred, depending on the different strains, whatever, it's going to have different effects. Right, yeah. I mean, the effects of THC con- of consumption is going to depend yeah, on the strain, how much you took, how you took it, uh, your your individual makeup, your past usage, a number of different factors. Um, it, it's also worth uh, stressing here that the, the female cannabis plant is the one that produces uh, the sticky resin uh, that contains the cannabinoids, uh, most notably Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, which is THC. THC, yeah. So, uh, THC, let's, let's start with just like a simple brain explanation. Okay? okay. Here's, this is the, this isn't your brain on drugs. This is just your brain. Okay. Our gray matter contains neurons and neurons are cells that talk to other cells with electrochemicals, right? The electrochemicals are called neurotransmitters. And one type of neurotransmitter in our brains that exists without smoking marijuana are called endocannabinoids. Yeah, endocannabinoids are in your brain right now, regardless of of your past usage or non-usage of marijuana. Yep. And there's one plant that also produces them, and that's cannabis. So keep that in mind throughout all of this, right, Mm -hmm. is that like... The things that are going on, uh, the effects of cannabis on the human body are basically mimicking things that w- are already going on, right? Increasing or decreasing them. Yeah. I mean, of course, you can, you can sort of say that for, for, for pretty much any. Uh, yeah, that's true. Substance. It's not like a magic hand, <laughs> uh, supernatural force reaching into your brain. Exactly. It is this substance that is causing your brain to do things. That it already does, though perhaps in different intensities and in different ways. Yeah, I just kind of want to dispel the notion of the, and, and you and I grew up with this, the, the, this is your brain on drugs type commercials where it's like yeah. the drugs are doing the things to you. And yeah, like, and it, they are, I mean, it's a cause and effect relationship, but like the chemistry set's already there in your skull. Right. An egg does not fry itself. Exactly. All right. So an individual takes THC. Uh, it can, uh, we already mentioned that, uh, the exact, uh, uh, results are going to depend on strain, dosage, delivery method, individual frequency of use, but the, it's going to ultimately produce a variety of effects, both sensory and psychological, including, uh, uh, one of the sources listed it as mild reverie, uh, which, uh, we were just talking about, about that off air. Well, what's a, what's a more relatable term for that fun yeah i mean that's what i would think of it as that's that's another thing that like i guess we should point out is like along the way in the research of this is of course academics who are studying marijuana or cannabis and its effects like they're in this sort of weird precarious situation right where Mm -hmm. they want to be as scientifically accurate as possible to maintain their standing of this being a serious study uh 
because and and I read this in multiple pieces. They're like, well, there's a stigma on people who study this as like, you know, we're just a bunch of hippies who just want to smoke weed or something right. like that, uh, while while also holding a professorship. And it's uh, almost like they're paranoid about it. Or something. Almost, yeah. Uh, so there is almost a. <laughs> A, a, an impenetrable language use in some of these, yeah. including uh, frequent reverie. Yeah, and, and they rarely use the word dank. Right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't some, seen dank show up yet. Some of the other effects include uh, euphoria, a heightened sensory awareness, creativity, empathy, impaired short-term memory, altered senses of time and space, enhanced appetite and sexual desire, um, not necessarily at the same time, uh, occasional drowsiness, and a tendency to enhance introspection. Okay. Okay. And this, this, these are all the kind of like basic assumptions that we have as just like general people who exist, at least in America, uh, of like what happens when you smoke weed. Yeah. I mean, if you just watch television, you see varying levels. Yeah. So like the, the guy in this show, he smokes a little Jesse weed. Jesse Pinkman yeah. on Breaking Bad. And suddenly he's a little more creative, creative. Or, oh, this character yeah. in this show ate a pot brownie and then just sat there thinking about death for an hour. You know, the, yeah, the, totally. A lot of people are going to be familiar with these, these basic, uh, uh, sensory and psychological effects. So back to the brain. Those cannabinoids. Uh, work their way up through our blood and into our brains, and they mimic or block the neurotransmitters, interfering with our normal functions, right? So uh, because there's high concentrations of cannab- cannabinoid receptors in our hippocampus, our cerebellum, and our basal ganglia, the THC binds with the receptors there and interferes with our recollection of recent events. So this is the whole memory thing. We're going to talk a lot about this. Mm. Um, I, in fact, I had previously written an episode for our video series Brain Stuff on uh, how much marijuana actually affects your memory. So I was able to incorporate a lot of that research here. And, of course, as we also know, it affects your coordination and your muscle movement. So, okay, like we said, our brains have already got these endocannabinoids in them, right? And cannabis basically hijacks this process. Now, the system, the endocannabinoid system, influences our pain, our memory, our mood, and our appetite. All those things that Robert just listed as being affected by uh, using cannabis, which is a nice, uh, which nicely foreshadows the uh, the our eventual discussion on medical applications, because you can already see this is a a substance that is 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 already involved in a number of of uh, the things that are affected by various illnesses and diseases. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one of the things that we're really get, getting into now, and we're going to talk about more, but like research is relatively recent, like in the last five years, is that the endocannabinoid process also has a big role in how our brains grow. Now, recall from when we talked about MDMA in the MDMA episodes, our brains are actually growing until we're 25 years old. Yeah. Like it's easy to say like, oh. I'm I'm a grown up. I'm 18. I'm done. But that's not true. Like your brain is still evolving and uh using marijuana definitely seems to have an effect on how your brain grows uh if you use it in in adolescence. But I think like what they're referring to is like anything before 25 years old. And that, that's on a, a regular use, but we'll, we'll get into that later. And the thing about the endocannabinoid system, we've only known about this thing since the late 90s. So, uh, we know, okay, we know it's a complex neural system. We know it affects these couple things that I just mentioned, but we're only beginning to understand it. So it's weird when you go down the rabbit hole on marijuana research because there's 
tons of it. Like we mentioned, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is the same, like, here's this endocannabinoid thing. We sort of get it, but not really more research is needed. Right. Uh, and then here's my fun fact for the episode. The reason you can't overdose on marijuana is because our cannabinoid receptors aren't densely packed inside the medulla. The medulla controls our cardiovascular system, right? So if you use heroin and you overdose on heroin, that'll shut down your respiratory control center. But pot can't do anything like that. Do not mistake us. When we say you cannot overdose on marijuana, we are not saying that you cannot take too much marijuana. You cannot, you can take more marijuana than uh, than is, than you should or is comfortable for the user experience. Yeah. Um, but you can say that about anything, right? You can say that about chocolate. Yeah, I mean, it will, and so you can say that about plenty of things, uh, yeah. just in your, on your spice rack. That if yeah, you yeah. take too much of it, you can, they can have dire consequences. Bottom line being, you cannot overdose, but you can take too much. Okay, so, we're gonna talk about the positive effects, but I'd like to think that most of the people out there, again, like, whether you've had personal experience with it or you've just watched it on a TV show, you pretty much get what those positive effects are, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, At least the positive recreational effects that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the reduce of pain uh, and inflammation, uh, and then the medicinal applications we're going to talk about in the next episode. Mm-hmm. And primarily, just, you know, spoilers for that episode, uh, it's primarily used to treat epilepsy and multiple sclerosis. And of course, we'll also discuss some of its uh, uses um, uh, for people who are undergoing chemotherapy, suffering yes. from uh, cancer. Yeah, there's all kinds, and and PTSD as well, yeah, just, yeah. just like uh, with MDMA. Uh, uh, that same Maps Research Institute is looking at how marijuana can help with PTSD. So, this leads us though. Let's talk about the adverse effects, okay? And this isn't. Uh, uh, I'm not going to do like the Nancy Reagan, like sit here and tell you all the bad things. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think the way that we need to approach this, just like we, we talked about with MDMA is like, th- let's be mature about it. This is a plant. This plant does these things to the human body. We're listing them. Right. We can apply positive or negative, uh, connotations to them, but just, it's important for us to walk through what they are. Right. All right. So. Memory is the big one. Uh, and the, the answer, like, does, does marijuana affect your memory? Oh yeah. It, it, it absolutely does. Uh, and the reason why is because the THC latches on to the cannabinoid receptor type CB1 in your brain. Uh, and this affects your short-term memory. In fact, we've done 40 years worth of studies that show that THC disrupt, disrupts our short-term memory. It also makes it difficult to remember what happened when you were actually high. Uh, and yes, when you take larger doses, like Robert was talking about, you can take too much. It has an even, even more of an effect on your memory. However, you can also develop a tolerance. Uh, and so, like, if you are a chronic user, yeah, you can build up a tolerance and subsequently you'll have less of the memory problems. Uh, but this also plays into the medicinal stuff we're going to talk about later in that, like, the medicinal applications don't always work, again, because you can build up a tolerance to it. Right. And it's, and on the short-term memory stuff, I do want to mention here that, like, there's a difference between, say, oh, this user uh, consumes some marijuana and they can't quite remember all the details of that that episode of um 
of Breaking Bad they watched. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to an idea of like somebody just having a complete blackout experience. Like there are varying levels of yeah. memory disruption and it's not just the black and white. I remember and oh, I have a black hole in my life. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Totally. Which reminds me of like, you know, I mean, uh, I have friends who over the years used too much alcohol mm-hmm. and that was kind of their experience with that, which was yeah. just like the, the hole in, in time and space. Yeah. They don't remember what happened, or at least they say they don't remember what happened. Uh, I have far less friends who use marijuana that have said the same thing. So, but let's, let's clarify too. Existing memories are not affected by marijuana use. Uh, and this does not lead to memory loss, you know, or dementia. Uh, that needs to be clarified because there's, I think, you know, a lot of the scare campaigns about cannabis leads to sort of these misunderstandings. Right. Uh, researchers do though hope they can use THC to help people with forgetting bad memories associated with PTSD. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why is because the endocannabinoid system regulates memory formation, but it also is involved with how we quote, make negative memories extinct. That's a weird phrasing, but apparently there's, it has something to do with us basically like, I guess like the, uh, the metaphor would be like putting a negative memory in a box and shoving it in a closet way in the back of your brain. Right. And just yeah. being like, I'm done with this. But you know, this touches again on the complexity of THC mm-hmm. because that it's a substance that almost paradoxically involves uh, sometimes the, like the, the, the over examination of a negative element in one's memories. Yeah. Or in this case, we're discussing now the potential, uh, eradication of ne- of negative connotations for a memory. Right. And we didn't do a lot of like real deep dive research into the PTSD application here, mm-hmm. but I'm going to guess based on all the stuff that we did on MDMA and PTSD, that it probably has a similar use and that yeah. it's done in conjunction with therapy and that, you know, you use it a little bit with a trustworthy therapist and then you talk your way through the memories and the problems uh, rather than it's, it's not like this magical thing where like you take a certain amount of marijuana and boop, your memory just goes into right. a closet, right? Like th- th- we need to stop thinking about it as being like this just magic wand thing. Okay. The chronic use effects are important to consider as well, because as we age, chronic use of marijuana can hasten the loss of neurons in our hippocampus. So teens, and th- this is where it comes into the, the like, uh, growing up and how it affects your brain thing. Teens who smoke it for three or more years may have abnormally shaped hippocampi. And they get more abnormal the longer they use it chronically. Now these deformations are connected to poor performance on memory tests, and they don't go away either. Uh, they've been observed in individuals who are in their early 20s who stopped using marijuana up to two years before. So it's like there's this window in your life. And let's be honest, for a lot of us, that's the window when we're most likely to use marijuana. Uh, and, and it, it, if it's used on enough of a regular basis, it can affect the shape of your brain. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the period of time in our development where we're hardwired really to, to break out and, uh, and, and attach to different peer groups as like a survival yeah. uh, instinct yeah. to, to take more risk as a survival instinct. Uh, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate that this is also the time where we should, 
we should probably not be experimenting with a whole bunch of uh, different substances. Yeah, I know. Like reading this, like I almost thought, like wow, like in a, in a mature society, it would be. And I wonder if there's like some kind of uh, like smaller microculture somewhere where it's like this, where it's like, yeah, like we accept that this is a thing that exists and it has these properties. But you know, for the most part, like we want to keep that away uh, from our from our youth until they're of a particular age, and then we'll have like a ceremony or whatever, like mm-hmm. like a celebration, like of, a like, rumspringa, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the young, yeah, yeah the rumspringa of marijuana, yeah, uh, where you're ready and it won't affect how your brain is shaped and 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 affect your cognition basically. Yeah, for the rest because of your life. basically your programming here is to is to rebel, run away from your tribe, yeah. and go find another tribe that you can breed with and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and find safety uh, among. But, uh, yeah, wait till you get to the other tribe until you try all these substances should be the uh, the caveat there. Yeah, I don't know. That would be interesting. I wonder if any of the listeners out there are aware of, like, if there's some... There must be. I would assume that, that there's got to be some kind of mature society where that is how it's handled. Although I guess, like... Based on uh, sort of like nation state uh, regulations, well, we wouldn't necessarily be able to do that anymore. Well, I think you do see traditional uses of, of marijuana and other substances where control of the substance is held by shamans and right, by religious yeah. individuals. And therefore, you would have to reach a certain age, a certain place in your life before they would be administered to you. That's yeah. that. So that would be, I think, the most likely form of that. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting to consider going forward with this. Um, so yeah, so we know this endocannabinoid system, even though it's super complex and we're only just now learning about it, it's important to how our synapses form. It's important to our early brain development during adolescent. Uh, and so yes, it's possible that marijuana is affecting the development of our brains. Uh, and we know, of course, that they also adversely affect our motor coordination, our attention, our judgment. It also can raise our heart rate, cause anxiety, and it has irritants inside the smoke that possibly cause cancer. And this is a good moment for us to, all right, so memory is the big one, right? That's the big, like, quote-unquote, adverse effect. But let's go through a list of other adverse effects that have been tracked through science. All right, it's been linked to having a 30% lower sperm count if used at least once a week. Uh, it's also, it's not highly addictive. However, 10% of users become dependent. I've also, I've seen that number represented as high as 30. Yeah. It kind of depends on who's tweaking the numbers I also here. think it depends on like your definition of dependence. Yeah, I think the 30% I saw was something like, quote, um, some degree of dependence. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, so that's the thing is the addiction like definition is complicated. It's possible that use might be influencing a neurochemical dopamine addiction that's linked in our brain. There's a couple other science things going on here. Uh, it, it, it may also change the quote feel good part of the brain, mm-hmm. uh, including our neurons that produce dopamine. And if you're, you know, it's constantly producing dopamine, that's going to make people to want to keep using it, obviously. Uh, and somehow we know this, it's reducing the number of those CB1 receptors that we have in our brains. And that too could be leading to addiction of some type. It's also been linked to cardiovascular problems, uh, lung damage for heavy smokers, high risk of uh, developing chronic uh, bronchitis. Uh, but its effects on respiratory function and respiratory cancer are unclear, mostly because of mixed use with tobacco. Uh, so in a lot of this, we're just talking about the fact that the, the, the primary method of consuming it is via smoke 
So, of, of course, you're going to end up with uh, smoke inhalation issues. Yeah. And now going back to my story of my stupid youth, cannabis intoxication can double a driver's risk of a crash, as reported in a 2012 study. And I'm here from a subjective experience to tell you that makes a lot of sense. Also, uh, maternal cannabis use during pregnancy can modestly reduce birth weight. Okay. And there is a connection between youthful exposure to, to cannabis and early onset psychosis, including schizophrenia. Now, I, I want to add here, though, that the, these people are usually already genetically predisposed toward these mental illnesses. So it's not like smoking weed makes you crazy, right? right like, yeah. it's not that. And it's also associated with the use of other illicit drugs. Yeah, and I feel like this is a good moment, like, with, with that particular one, to just, like, add a note here, that I personally think that there's a difference between cannabis's sociocultural role and its scientific effects on the human body. Right. And some studies suggest that cannabis is a contributing cause to these things, like, for instance, that you, you'll drop out of school or something. While others are arguing that, yeah, there's a relationship there, but there's also lots of other shared causes, right? Like, it makes me think of wicked problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot going on there. And just from my own personal experience growing up with, with, with kids who dropped out of school and were pot smokers, like, I don't think it was necessarily just the pot that made them drop out of school, right? Like, they had a lot of other things going on in their lives, and it was a convergence. Yeah, and, and you know, it's easy to get into, you could, you could do a whole episode just talking about the whole gateway drug thing, totally, right? Totally, yeah. Uh, you know, to what extent is it a gateway drug? To what extent is anything a gateway drug if you keep it, like, legally and socially stored in the box with yeah. these other things, it's kind of like saying, hey, uh, if you keep the bubble gum in the liquor cabinet, <laughs> then bubble gum is a gateway to liquor, exactly, right? Because that yeah. is the you, you inevitably fall in proximity to it. Yeah. But the official lingo in one of the studies we read says that, yes, they find a consistent association between regular cannabis use and poor psychosocial outcomes in adulthood. Now, my personal experience, I would argue against that, but that's very subjective. You know, I am an adult, uh, 38 years old, and I have lots of friends who partake in using marijuana, and they make great decisions and are pretty stable adults. Now, we mentioned, uh, we mentioned smoke. We mentioned different methods of consuming cannabis. Uh, I, I do want to mention here that for cannabis to release THC into the bloodstream, it must be heated above 100 degrees Celsius or 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, so it has to be cooked. It has to be smoked. And this is why we inevitably end up talking about the inhalation of cannabis smoke, the brewing of cannabis teeth, the creation of cannabis oils that can be absorbed through the skin, culinary infusion, generally, you know, in the form of um, or often in the form of butters and other things that are then used in baking. Uh, some cultures in the past just threw it into a communal campfire and mm. everyone um, inhaled it that way. And the use of pipes was actually rather uncommon until the 16th century. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, the whole sort of, it, it's easy to miss that given how prevalent mm-hmm. the bong and yeah. uh, you know, one hitter c- culture is today. But, uh, yeah, it, that is a, a in, in the long history of human cannabis use, uh, that's a relatively new thing. Yeah, it's kind of worth, uh, realizing that, like, we are only just a little blip on the radar of its, uh, influence uh, on human history, especially, like, when you, when you look at how far back mm-hmm. it goes. 
Indeed. So, hey, on that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to dive into a little bit on the evolution of cannabis and the overall success of cannabis as it uh, just spreads across our world through human culture. So cannabis thrives in a sunny environment or alternatively like a, a massive grow house. Yeah, I'm thinking of like a have you seen that movie Attack the Block? Yes. Uh the like skyrise uh grow house that they have that's mm-hmm. in like one of those like apartment complexes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can grow it pretty much anywhere. Grow houses are a are a fascinating subject under themselves. Uh, I, I wrote an article for How Stuff Works about them oh, uh, yeah? several years back. And I'm not even sure to what extent with our growing uh with our shifting uh, acceptance of marijuana to what extent grow houses are still quite the weird urban spaceship that they, that yeah. they were, yeah. you know, where you basically have a, an environment that is, you know, like a human can barely live inside one of these things. Right, right. Uh, it's all about growing the marijuana plants. I, I don't even know to what extent those are, those are still as extreme a situation as they were a few years ago. But, um, but for the most part, yeah, they need a sunny environment. Uh, we mentioned earlier they probably uh, evolved in um, in India, perhaps uh, Central Asia, specifically um, some theories say Mongolia or southern Siberia. Though you'll also find people that make a case for uh, the Honghi River Valley, uh, the Hindu Kush Mountains, South Asia, or Afghanistan. It's one of those things that's ultimately kind of lost to history. And this is that thing where you go, all right, hold up, how long... Have people been uh, interacting with cannabis? Well, the first written account is in Chinese records from the 28th century BCE. That's way back. I mean, uh, it's pretty far. And, and then when you look at it, you know, around 20, or uh, sorry, around 12,000 BCE, humans started domesticating the crop. And this is where it steadily started moving across the world. And let's talk about that for a little bit. We've got like a map here in front of us uh, that I, we'll, we'll try to translate to you, listener. Uh, that it's just fascinating how it kind of made its way around the world. Right. So as best we can tell, by 2000 BCE, you had uh, cannabis in China, Japan, Korea, Persia, Eastern Europe, and India. And then uh, during the first millennium, uh, it spreads through northern Africa and in the following millennium travels uh, north into Western Europe, south into southern Africa, into Southeast Asia. And then in the centuries to follow, uh, it follows the wave of uh, colonialism into the New World. So we're talking South America in the 1800s and then the early 20th century. Uh, it's making its way into North America and becoming firmly rooted there. And you may be wondering, well, well, how do we know this other than like, you know, a general historical record, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this is a fascinating thing that I read about in a Newsweek article. There's a guy out there. His name is Mowgli Holmes, and he operates a lab called the Phylos Bioscience Lab. And the whole point of this lab is to try to sequence the DNA of every kind of cannabis in the world. And the goal is basically that they're going to sample all of it so that they can clarify, you know, what all these different types are in the marijuana, quote unquote, market. And it's called cannabis genomics. So we're talking about subspecies. We're talking about yeah. strains, all the, the weird ways that uh, cultivation is uh, is is tweaking the marijuana. Like I've seen it pointed out 
uh, before that if you look at pictures of just basic cannabis uh, crop from just 50 years ago, yeah. it, it's it's often just unrecognizable compared to you know, like your modern um, uh, centerfold uh, cannabis in uh, what is the magazine High, High Times? Times. Yeah, I, like it doesn't even look like the same plant because right, we've right. just we've micromanaged its development so much. Yeah, and also like it's worth considering too that like a lot any kind of like botanical improvements <laughs> that have mm-hmm. been going on have been going on behind closed doors for the most right. part, right? So there hasn't been a whole lot of like. Uh, shared information about this. Yeah. And, th- and this is kind of this Mowgli Holmes, uh, goal. He's, he's sort of like the Alexander Shulgin of, of, uh, marijuana, it seems. Huh. Uh, and so, um, the only way that they can research this cannabis, uh, because it's illegal on the federal level here in the United States is to get approval from both the USDA and the FDA. But, uh, there are federally funded universities that are reluctant to even host anything like this. And I remember what I was talking about at the beginning with academics who study this mm-hmm. because of the stigma attached to it. But Holmes and his team have a way around this. They handle only the DNA of the marijuana and not the marijuana itself. So he's collected specimens of DNA from all over the world. Colombia, Thailand, Mexico, Afghanistan, India, Uruguay, Namibia, and South America. And this process is extremely time-consuming because they have to design a new method for DNA extraction for every sample collected. It's not like there's the same formula. They have to go in and basically build it from scratch. So the goal is that they're going to complete this plan. They're going to hand over all the data they have to a group that's called the Open Cannabis Project. This is a nonprofit that's building an archival record of every strain for the sake of the public domain. And the idea here is this will be better regardless of whether it's legal or not, because, like I said, even growers don't really know what they're growing out there. Much of the marijuana that's consumed in the U.S. today comes from strains that were smuggled over here from Afghanistan and Thailand. But we also know it was here long before that, and we don't know why. So uh, we want to know where it originated, and even more, what can it tell us about human migratory patterns, too? Indeed, because we see time and time again where people go, where if people have cannabis in their culture, they bring it with them when they travel. Yeah, absolutely. And it quite literally takes root wherever it goes. This is pretty much the entire premise of Sleep's Dope Smoker album. (laughs) So we already mentioned uh, the literary records uh, going back to about 28th century BCE. And there'll be more on the specifics of that in our next episode because it concerns the the medicinal history of cannabis. But as far as just the earliest known archaeological traces, uh, some of our earliest traces of cannabis, they, they relate not to uh, the the drug, but rather just to the use of hemp in fiber arts, okay. which is important because it shows that the plant was out there. People were using it. Yeah, totally. So we see 10,000-year-old Taiwanese pottery shards that reveal hemp rope imprints mm. in the pottery. Additionally, we see weaving design and hemp cloth imprints from pot- on pottery from uh, around uh, uh, 4,115 to 3,535 B.C.E., uh, found in uh, Banpo villages. Uh, these are the, the earliest examples of uh, Neolithic and possibly uh, a matriarchal uh, Yangshao culture. Okay. Uh, and this is from the uh, Shanxi province in northwest China. Uh, so, again, just to, to go back, you know, China was, was one of the earliest regions that would have had access to cannabis. Mm-hmm. Burned cannabis seeds have been found in uh, Kurgan burial grounds of the uh, 
Pajak uh, tribes in Siberia dating back to around 3000 BCE. And I can only imagine, uh, I, my, my Highlander history is a little foggy, <laughs> but I'm assuming that the Kurgan, uh, oh, yeah. maybe came from this area. Maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably, uh, very heavy marijuana user, the Kurgan. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of times. As played by Clancy yeah. Brown. That's how you get that, like, really nice, smoky, deep voice. Yeah, that smoky, grab Downtown Clancy Brown. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Additionally, we see uh, from uh, uh, 1122 to 249 BCE uh, Chinese Chow Dynasty burial sites that reveal hemp cloth fragments. In Egypt, we've seen cannabis pollen in the tombs of uh, uh, in the tomb of Ram- Ramesses II, and that's from around 1279 to 1213 BCE. And several mummies uh, from that time period contain trace cannabinoids as well. You know, based on our episode on uh, preparing mummies in Egyptian burial and knowing all of the different, like, spices and things like that, they stuff inside the orifices of bodies. I wonder if they were stuffing um, cannabis in there as well. Maybe so. It has, like, a yeah. potential, uh, I don't know, like, way of preserving the, the corpse. So then we get to 1000 BCE, and this is when hemp cloth from a debris pile is found in modern-day Turkey near Anjara, Jordan. And fragments of paper containing hemp fiber have been found in Chinese graves dating back to the first century of BCE. Now, we're closing in on our own present age here, but in 200 BCE, Cho Li writes of hemp's use as a fiber. In particular, there's evidence of cannabis as a domesticated seed crop. So we know that, you know, somewhere through those times, it's, it's domesticated, it's become part of agriculture, and uh, it's, it's being used medicinally. Yeah, and does hemp too. Yeah, so it's easily it's easy to to sort of put ourselves in the in the mindset of of early individuals who like maybe they discovered the 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 use of hemp first and then began to discover this other property. Right. Um. You know, maybe they sort of discovered each independently, but uh, pretty early on, cannabis in one form or another becomes an important crop and a crop that 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 knowledge of is passed from generation to generation. Yeah. Now, and this is one of those, like, I can only imagine, uh, like horrible pot humor of like a bunch of stoners sitting around and being like, man, like who first figured this out? <laughs> like, did they just like smoke every plant they came across? Well, or, you know, in a way, and we'll get to that. <laughs> there's a, there is a one myth concerning that. Yeah. Um, now it, a lot, a lot of this we've talked about, this is concerning the, the hemp, but what about the actual smoking of the, the marijuana, the actual consumption of, of the cannabis and the THC. Well, some of our earliest known uh, evidence here uh, takes us back to uh, 1320 CE. And uh, here you'd have to travel to the Labiala Caves of Ethiopia, where we find two ceramic pipe bowls containing traces of cannabis. Hmm. Uh, and then the Artharva Veda in 2000 to 1400 BCE references something called Bang, not bong, mm-hmm. uh, a concoction of dried cannabis leaves, seeds, and stems. And this is considered like mild Indian cannabis, about half the strength of ganja. Yeah, and, and I, I know we're sort of uh, moving around in time a little bit here, but uh, so so sorry for any this is, this uh, whiplash the, you might like get. Doctor Who uh, tour of, <laughs> yeah. of marijuana. Yeah, you'll also find um, cannabis use interwoven into tantric t- traditions that have influenced both Hinduism and Buddhism. And, uh, I mean, really, we could just go on and on. You, you can't even begin to look at cannabis' role in every culture and age. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, you know, we thought it'd be interesting to discuss a, a few key examples uh, that are that are either interesting or have some sort of importance later on in our discussions. So, one that probably comes to a lot of people's minds is that of the assassins. Uh, I'm not sure how how familiar people are with this. I feel like the Assassin's Creed's ga- Creed games get into this a little bit. So yeah, maybe I've, only, I've played like you. half of those, but I don't remember there being anything particularly connected to this. But I haven't played the first one, and that's the like. I, if my, if my memory is correct about those games, that they're uh, chronological in order. Yeah, and they have time travel and they do backstabbing. Yeah. 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 So just to clarify, hashish comes from the Arabic for dry herb, and it consists of purified cannabis resin and is considerably more potent. And this would have spread through the Arab world from 7th to the 13th centuries due to trade, travel, and war, which are generally the things that move cannabis uh, historically. And uh, here's the thing, though. It, It was around, not necessarily accepted, it's often considered an intoxicant in Islamic communities and is therefore prohibited, though some Sufi holy men have allegedly used it uh, in their rites as well. Mm-hmm. So that much is is more or less accepted. As for the idea that the assassins, that there are these dreaded um, uh, Ashishin warriors that would have imbued in hashish prior to the, their attacks on Western crusaders during the holy wars, well, that is that that remains either unclear or complete fabrication. There's a, there's nothing mm-hmm. really to back up that idea. Okay. Um, the Crusaders were the ones circulating these tales, and it is a huge possibility that these tales were just about uh, downplaying uh, Muslim bravery hmm. and saying, okay. "Oh, well, sure, they beat us, but that was because they're 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 crazy. They took some drug that gave them essentially superpowers and made them into madmen and came at us. So, uh, all right, I'm going to show my ignorance here because this is one of the sections that I researched. Mm-hmm. Is this connected to the whole legend of Hassan Asaba? Is this the old old man in the mountain? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very much. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, the these were a real group. Yeah. They they existed. The okay. idea that they smoked hashish yeah. as some sort of a, like a pre. Uh, attack ritual. Right. There's little or nothing to back that up. Um, uh, uh, very different from our uh, episode on Wolfsbane, in which we mm-hmm. did find that there was some kind of a connection between was it what was it Vikings or not Vikings in particular, but a particular kind of like a uh, Northern European warrior yeah. would sort of like smear <laughs> uh, Wolfsbane on their lips so that they'd like foam at the mouth. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting because on one hand you can imagine that being the case. We know that there are various properties. Uh, in, in various substances that would be advantageous prior to rushing into battle. But it, do, it also allows the, um, the loser to explain away their losses. It's like saying, yeah, oh totally. yeah, they beat us, but they were totally doping. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. It's the early, uh, finger pointing of steroid use. And it's also interesting because we see marijuana's use in the demonization of another culture or ra- or racial group and, mm-hmm. and the idea that it turns people into, into you know, monsters of some sort. Yeah. And all this comes up again when we start looking at uh, 20th century uh, America. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Another cultural entity that is that is become pretty synonymous with marijuana use is that of uh, uh, the, the Rastafari movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, you know Jamaican music, um, be it, uh, you know, dub or reggae, they're huge, uh, huge influence of, uh, of cannabis. Yeah, and those art forms, and I think like through most of like 
present day Western pop culture that is like a stereotype. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but certainly the Rastafari, Rastafari movement is real. It's a Jamaican uh, uh, Abrahamic uh, faith that rose in the 1930s following the coronation of Haile Selassie I as emperor of Ethiopia. And they uh, they thrive to this day. They recognize uh, Selassie as the Messiah, and they regard cannabis as a spiritual act and a metaphor for the burning bush of the old uh, Old Testament. Okay. Uh, and by the way, cannabis would have spread to the Caribbean during the 19th century uh, via Indian laborers brought in by the British. Okay. Okay. Um, so, but but this is an interesting modern uh, example where yeah. we see cannabis as a as a part of a religion as a religious right here in the states you have you also have various movements of i think varying levels of seriousness such as the christian thc ministry the cannabis assembly the church of cognitive therapy of course temple 420 (laughs) Uh, the list goes goes on and on but but throughout human history you do see cannabis playing a role to varying degrees you know, maybe not as extreme as uh, Rastafari, mm-hmm. but you see it playing varying degrees in religious right. Yeah, that certainly makes sense given its uh, uh, biochemical properties. Uh, and this thoroughly connects right back to two of our more recent episodes, the Cargo Cults episode and uh, the Hyper Real Religions episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. And again, we could we could spend a whole series of episodes just going oh, yeah. through all the, the various different cultural examples. Now, when we get to the United States in our modern times, we we pretty much have to mention reefer madness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because uh, uh, this was, uh, if, if you were not familiar with this, this was uh, this came out in the 1930s, and it was an exploitation propaganda film about how marijuana turns young people into just r- raving maniacs, like mm-hmm. joker-faced maniacal, crazy people or just like complete, you know, gutter crawling junkies. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, like uh, the 30s, it's 20 years before the 1950s when the same thing was going on with comic books. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a real tradition in the last century of, of American life of finding a thing and blaming it for juvenile uh, delinquents or hyperactivity or just behaviors that we don't find that fits to the conformity of, of quote unquote traditional America. Right. Right. And in, and in this case too, helping to bring about moral panic yeah. uh, surrounding the thing, yeah. uh, which of course ties back into our episode on uh, satanic panic. Mm-hmm. But essentially uh, you had us laws against marijuana and other drugs, drugs popping up in the 1920s. Uh, though marijuana laws at the time, they, they didn't differentiate between hemp and psychoactive cannabis. Right. And this was apparently due in large part to the influence of the cotton industry because mm-hmm. they didn't want the, uh, yeah, uh, the, the hemp industry to come in and take away their business. Yeah, because it's like significantly cheaper, isn't it? Yeah, that's my understanding of it. And then uh, <laughs> so, so you have the, the Federal Bureau of Narco- Narcotics under Harry J. Anslinger. And he waged war on marijuana just throughout the 30s. He rejected clinical analysis that even at the time concluded that marijuana did not induce violent behavior or lead to the use of more, you know, heavily addictive drugs. Instead, he waged this campaign of yellow journalism and propaganda tied in the evils of jazz. (laughs) So you're, you know, you're getting, uh, you know, uh, some racist uh, tendencies right there. That's where we got the jazz cigarette. Yeah, the jazz cigarette. Uh, also tied it into Imperial Japan and communism as well. So again, this idea yeah. that, um, this heavy tone of this eth- uh, marijuana is tied to this ethnic threat to the white female, mm-hmm. uh, 
because you you see that in some of the the posters at the time you see right. like the the marijuana brandishing individual is kind of a, a darker demonic figure and of course he is preying on the 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 caucasian woman um so it's it's really like it's really icky the more and more you look at yeah i at mean this. like reefer madness is one of those things that like a, a lot of people especially of our generation like kind of look at and are like oh isn't that ironic funny ha 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 but mm-hmm. like it it's just Another example of humanity just like pointing its fingers at the wrong things, you know, and not yeah. really kind of like taking a decent step back and looking at like what the actual situation is. Right. And even though today we can we can watch uh, Reefer Madness and laugh at it. Right. I, I think it might even be on Netflix or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, periodically. I think it's in it may be in the public domain. I know there's a riff yeah. track on it <clears throat> and uh, and it is just goofy and and. An awful, but we're still to a large extent living in its shadow, right? I yeah, mean, that, yeah. that era of, um, of cannabis aversion, of, of moral panic sur- surrounding cannabis, like that never truly completely went away. I mean, it's certainly yeah. the, we had cultural shifts. We had the 1960s and then the post 1960s. Um, and we've touched on this before in MDMA episodes, just right. about like the difficulty of coming back from that, even with just clinical research. Yeah, right, exactly. And that we'll talk about that more in the next episode, the the sequel to this about medicinal applications. But yeah, it's like tremendously difficult yeah. to to do studies on this stuff uh because of the results of of this sort of movement that Robert's describing. So, we're at this interesting point in history, right? We've, yeah. we've seen a great deal of post-drug war decriminalization overall and overall cultural acceptance. Uh, outside of the U.S., Spain, Italy, Portugal, Switzerland, the Netherlands, and Belgium have all decriminalized uh, marijuana possession to varying degrees, and it's also quite vilif- but it's also quite vilified uh, and outlawed in such places as the United Arab Emirates, Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, and Japan. I can tell you, having lived in Singapore as a kid, it is not very welcome there. Yeah, uh, yeah, and um, it, it's interesting because I just recently took a trip to Portland, Oregon. Uh, and it, the, the medical dispensaries are all over the place there now. Oh yeah. Uh, and it was so, it was such a like culture shock thing. Like, oh, I'm, I'm in America, but this is a very different America than Georgia where I can't imagine the medical dispensaries happening anytime soon. But like, yeah, it was like Dunkin' Donuts. Like on every block, there was a, a little shop with, and they were very professional looking. They didn't look like, uh, head shops or anything. You right. Know? They had like nice, nice signs with a little green, uh, uh, plus symbol to, to signify what it was for. And it was everywhere. Huh. Yeah. So it's interesting to just try and figure out where we are in the overall continuing history of marijuana. Like, is this, mm-hmm. is this the peak? Like, are, are we, is everything about to go, uh, in an entirely different direction? Is it going to continue to change towards yeah, we'll acceptance see. and research? I think our generation, maybe it's just the people that I spend time with, but I really feel like our generation isn't as uh, easily fooled by the whole reefer madness uh, rhetoric, right? Like we we think about it a little bit more maturely than that and and realize like the actual benefits and adversities of cannabis on the brain. At least I like to think so. Um, Yeah, so hopefully the like the... The current generation and, and even the most the most recent generations to sort of reach that acceptable, semi-acceptable, however you want to look at it, yeah. uh, uh, you know, drug experimentation age, like hopefully they are entering into it with a lot more balanced information yeah. and not just like fear mongering on one side and uh, 
and you know hippie mumbo jumbo on the other, <laughs> right. but but, yeah, uh, but yeah. a middle path that incorporates uh, some level headed decision making. Yeah, totally. Uh, like I said, like I would love to see us go back to some kind of like shamanistic cultural thing where you know we celebrate uh, that when you've reached the age that it will no longer deform your brain. Yeah. So on that note, I think we should pause, uh, sign out for today, and then uh, you can rejoin us in the next episode, which we'll publish on Thursday, right. where we will talk about medicinal marijuana and all the different things that can be used. It, it can be used for that it's associated with. Right, and if there's something that we just briefly touched on in this episode, or that we briefly touch on in the next episode, and you think to yourself, "Hey, I'd like to hear more on that," yeah, uh, let us know because. There's there's so many areas in in these two episodes that we could really blow it out and do a, an an additional episode or two related to the content. Yeah, and in addition to you know we've been talking like I said at the top of the episode about doing like a sort of ongoing series of these where you know not like every week but every you know couple months we'll explore a different uh, drug and you know like we've thrown around the idea of doing one on ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. I think Joe's interested in uh, is it DMT? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you know let us know if there's a particular thing out there that you want us to cover uh you know let us know uh and and we'll try to you know basically take the same framework and apply it there indeed and hey in the meantime if you want to check out past episodes including that two-parter on mdma head on over to stuff to blow your mind.com that is our mothership that's where you'll find all the podcast episodes you'll find videos you'll find blog posts you'll find links out to our social media accounts such as uh what facebook and twitter we're blow the mind on both of those we're also on tumblr and hey we're also on instagram right we are indeed i just spent all day yesterday posting uh pictures from the various alien movies because it was (laughs) alien day we had a blast on alien day on social media we're on all of those but if you want to write us directly hit us up at blow the mind at howstuffworks.com for more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. I'm <laughs> sorry.